The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. As we wrapped up last week, our Confessions of a Pastor series, I was praying about what God would have me to share this uh, weekend with our church family. And I guess because of maybe some things even in my own life, God really started leading me to this idea of stepping out of something and into something else. And so I want to talk to you over the next couple of weeks about stepping out and stepping in. And today we're going to specifically talking, talk about stepping out of control and into trust. Stepping out of control and into trust because control is a big deal in our lives. Everyone loves to be in control. We fight over who gets the remote control, right? It's all about wanting us to feel this sense of peace and the sense of all is well. Everything's okay because I can control my finances. I can control my relationships. I can control what people do or say. And, and as long as people will do what I want them to do when, they want, when I want them to do it, then my world is safe. My world is okay. And we feel that way often. And so it's almost like we're on this never-ending quest to try to control things in our lives so we can just have this sense of well-being, you know? We feel safe and everything is, is well in our world when everybody does what we want them to do, what we expect them to do. The problem is, is that things in our world rarely, if ever, always work like that. So how do we cope with that? How do we cope with this need, with this addiction to feel like everything has to be happening the way that we feel it needs to be happening? How can we step out of control and in to trust. And I think that it really starts with understanding what, how deep this control goes because it becomes an addiction for us where we're addicted to control. But addiction to control reveals a heart that's really self-reliant, a heart that is really rooted and grounded really in pride because it's kind of this my way or the highway thing. I'm addicted to control. I'm addicted to everyone having to do what I want them to do. I'll manipulate whatever circumstance or relationship I have to to get my way, to get what I want. We even think we can manipulate and control God. And this addiction to self-control shows areas in our lives where we haven't truly submitted it to the Lord and we're still trying to be in the driver's seat and rely on ourselves. We'll say things like, you know, uh, we, want, we want people to, to value and want the same things in life that we want and the same things we say that are important. We want them to think like us. We want them to dress like us. We want them to like the same things we like. We get uh, frustrated when we try to share an experience with someone and perhaps they didn't like it the same way we liked it. And we thought that they should like it the way that we like it. And so we get frustrated in those instances or we think everyone should operate and do things the way that we do because, you know, obviously our system and way of doing life is the best. And eventually they're going to come over to my way and we'll get frustrated with people, may even put distance between ourselves and other people if they won't do what we think that they should do. And then maybe eventually they come around to finding out that we were right. And we love that. We love that. When, when someone finally figures out that we were right all along and they did it our way and they're like, wow, you were right. And you're like, I know. We love that feeling, but that, that's pride. And that's self-reliance. And that's saying, I am my own answer. I'm the one who has this thing figured out. You know, we think that other people are wrong if they don't think like us, do things like us. You know, the world would be a better place if there was just more of me to go around, right? That's somehow how we're tempted to think when we're addicted 
to control. But I believe that for us to truly be free of that, we've got to step out of control and into trust. So let's look at Scripture this morning. Go over to Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans chapter 12. We all know that Romans 12, uh, or the book of Romans, rather, was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to the church in Rome. And remember that the church in Rome was made up of Greeks and Jews, and these people had now become Christians. And they had started a church, and Paul is writing a letter to these people with different backgrounds. The Jewish people see the world very differently than the Greek people. They have very different backgrounds. They have different contexts. They have different traditions. They have different things that they think are important. And the Jewish people were saying, well, the Greeks need to be more like the Jews. And the Greeks were like, no, we don't. We're free in Christ. We can do whatever we want. And they were saying, no, you can't. You have to do this. And they were arguing back and forth over whose perspective and whose view was right. And the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, and he's letting them know, listen, it's all about Christ. That's what we need to center on is Christ, not these different things that you guys are focusing on and making them a bigger deal than they are because what they were really trying to do is control one another. The Greeks were saying, you have to think like me and you have to operate like me. And the Jews were saying, no, you have to think like me. You have to operate like me. And Paul's saying, no, you're both wrong. You're missing the point. The point is Christ. Christ is the, central, is the centrality of this faith that we have. Christ is the thing that roots and grounds us and helps us to move forward. Christ is the one who helps us to grow in loving one another and connecting to one another. And all these things that we're making a big deal about, Paul was trying to help them see. It's not about making this person think like a Greek or this person think like a Jew. You guys can be a part of that same fellowship and still walk in unity, but you're going to have to change the way you think. And so he kicks off Romans chapter 12 with the verse that most of us know where he talks about renewing our minds. So he was saying, you got to change the way you think. You're thinking wrong. You need to change the way you think. And then he follows that up with this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Skip down to verse 16, same chapter. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Here Paul is trying to help them understand, you're going to have to think differently if you're going to work together for the cause of Christ. If you're going to be this body, if you're going to be this church, you can't try to control everyone and manipulate everyone or force everyone to be just like you and think just like you. He said, instead, you shouldn't think more highly of yourself than you ought. You shouldn't think that your way of thinking is so elevated that everyone has to operate, think, and value and function the exact same way that you do, or they're just plain wrong. He said, no, you can't think that way because you shouldn't think more highly of yourself then you should. He said, instead, he said, even people that are lowly, even people that you uh, look at, that you have considered them somewhat beneath you, he said, listen, don't treat them any differently just because maybe they're poorer than you are, or maybe they have a different background than you have, or they have a different set of struggles or challenges than you have. He said, instead, he said, work together in harmony and focus on Christ. And he begins to reiterate this idea of Christ over and over and over again, being more than enough and helping them to not rely on self, but instead to rely on Christ. Because a heart that's reliant on self doesn't want to step out. It's not very optimistic. It's, it immediately will see negativity 
or see why we should delay, let's just not do this until everything is perfect, until everything is just right, until the, the outcome is predictable, that's when we'll do something. Or the flip side, where you have people who step out and are incredibly risky without counting the cost, or reckless risk, risk takers that want to justify their risk by calling it faith, or it's really just wishful thinking, or hoping things work out, and their addiction to control causes them to manipulate, it causes them to manipulate people or circumstances to get what they want, to try to predict a foreseeable outcome. And we do this all the time in relationships. We do this all the time with, uh, with God, where we'll try to think that we can predict and, and, and make God do what we want Him to do when we want Him to do it. And we're either on the side of waiting and we never step out, or we're on the side of trying to manipulate and control other, either way, the heart behind it is one that's self-reliant, and it reveals a lack of trust in our lives. And this is the same issue that humanity has always faced. Humanity has always faced this issue since the beginning. The first two people on the planet, Adam and Eve, their issue that they had was they got tempted and coaxed into believing that they could rely on self. Because the snake comes up to them, and he says, hey, I know God told you not to touch this because he said you would die, but you're not going to die. Actually, God knows that you're going to be made just like him. You're going to have your eyes open to really see the truth. So in other words, the snake was saying God's holding out on you. God's holding out something on you because, you know, apparently he doesn't think that you need to know this. Actually, he knows if you eat this, you're actually going to be like him. So if you would just trust in yourself and your own ability instead of leaning and trusting on God, then why don't you try to control the outcome, try to control the situation by making what you want to happen, happen. So violate what God wants you to do. So you can have what you want, so you can control the situation. You'll be like God. And we see how that all worked out. They violated that, and we still make the same violation in our everyday lives. When God will speak something clearly to us, either through His Word or through leading us by His Spirit, and we'll ignore it, or we'll disregard it, or we'll want to go do the selfish thing and just completely walk away from God instead of trusting that what He wants us to do is best, we'll instead rely on ourselves because we think in that moment we know better than God. Now, nobody would ever say that. Nobody would ever buy that T-shirt that says, I know better than God. We'd be scared to wear it. We'd be scared to say that to people. But it's not in the saying, it's in the doing. Because even though we may not say those things, we sure do live like it. Because we'll make decisions that are outside of what's God's best and what's God's direction. Because if I follow God's direction and I follow what Scripture says, then it's me saying, I trust you, Lord. I trust that what you said in your word and what you're leading me to do, I trust that you're saying it's right. And when I decide to do something contrary to that, I'm saying I know better. Or I'm saying I got this. When I'm offended at someone and I hear that, you know, through Scripture that Jesus says to go to the person that offended you and to deal, the, deal with this and have the goal of reconciliation, and we see that clearly in Scripture, but I go, well, you know, I know how they're going to react and respond because I know them really well and it's just not going to work out. It's not, I'm not even going to go try to, try to talk about this because it's just it's not going to be good. It's not going to work out. I, I know I should go to them and repent, or I know I should go to them and try to have the goal of reconciliation or confess my offense, but it's just, it's, it's not going to work out. It's, it's just not worth it. And so we'll, we'll rationalize, also, what are we trying to do? We're trying to control the situation. We're trying to create a predictable outcome. 
And so we'll avoid doing what God tells us to do because we want to control the outcome, because we don't want to deal with the fear of the what if. Because the fear of the what if is, what if it doesn't work out? What if they blow up in your face and get angry? What if they don't have a big weep and, and hug and, you know, everybody's okay now session? What if it doesn't go that way? Well, since you can't control that, then oftentimes we'll just stay away from it, even though God told us to do it, even though God gave us direction to do it, even though God is saying this is the best way to handle this. And instead we hold on to it, we get more and more bitter, there becomes more and more distance between us and other people, it gets more and more awkward, and then next thing you know we've got a hardness in our heart that's unhealthy, that's poisoning us and poisoning other people. All because we didn't trust God. Not because God didn't do something, because we didn't do what He told us to do. Because we're not trusting in Him, we're trusting in ourselves when we do that. And that can happen in so many circumstances where we're trying to control the outcome and we're still listening to that lie of you know better. Instead of seeking help for that struggle or that addiction, and going out and letting someone hold you accountable and helping them walk uh, with you through that and, and finding freedom in Christ, we'll go, I got this, I got this. What are we doing? We're relying on self. We're trying to control it. We're trying to go, oh, it's not, not a big deal if I just do a little bit of this. And then we rationalize all this stuff and we get bound and chained to stuff. And God wants us to be free. We need to learn how to let go and to step out of our self-reliant, controlling nature and we need to step into trusting God because trust grows as we learn who God is and we learn how He loves us. That's how trust is going to grow because the more you know God, the more you're going to trust Him. Don't dismiss that statement just because it sounds overtly simple. Trust in God grows when we learn who He is and how He loves us. That's really where it comes from because if I know someone loves me and I know I can trust them, I'm going to lean on them, man. I'm going to lean into them when, when, when it comes to stuff. You have people in your life. Look at your natural relationships. You have people in your life that you will talk to about certain things. Why? Because there's relationship there. There's trust there. You can share your heart with them, and you know that they care about you, and you know they'll give you good advice. But how did you get to that point? didn't happen overnight, did it? No, you spent time with them. You invested in relationship with them. And now you feel that you can share things that you're struggling with or things that are bothering you in life that you need advice or help on or some direction or clarity and you go to those people because you know they love you and they're going to tell you what's true and what's right and and and, and they're going to be for you and you know that so you'll share with them but that came through a relationship and the more you know them the more you get to see that love reiterated over and over again the more you get to have that trust deepened over and over again and it's the same thing with god it's how relationships work if we invest in a relationship with God where we begin to obey Him, trust Him, go to Him, talk to Him, depend on Him, He begins to work something in our heart that goes deeper than just a Sunday morning, where we go deeper with God and we're able to truly learn how to trust Him. Abraham was the perfect example of this. We see in Scripture that Abraham, the father of faith, as he is referred to, he, we, we were given this story of Abraham in Scripture for a number of reasons, but one of those which I believe is to show us what trust in God looks like. Because Abraham and his wife Sarah, they had a pretty happy life. They were doing pretty well for themselves. They had servants and things like that. They seemed to be pretty wealthy individuals. They were doing pretty good in life. So they were living a happy, comfortable, secure life. And then God shows up and just completely 
rips away the security from them at all and has to now require them to step out and trust because now it's not just about going through the day-to-day. It's not just about the ebb and flow of life and just being enjoying the, the things that we can control because here's what happened. You go over to Genesis chapter 12 if you'd like. Genesis chapter 12, when we're kind of introduced over here to Abram, um, before he was called Abraham, Genesis 12 and verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Oh my goodness, let's just stop right there. God shows up to Abram and says, Hey, leave your country, all your friends, all your family, all the people that are related to you. You guys pick up and go into a land I will show you. I mean, I don't know about you, but when it's time for me to go somewhere, I like to know where I'm going. (laughs) Where do you want to go eat today? Honey, to a land that I will show you. (laughs) Where do you want to move? Oh, to a land I will show you. No, you better tell me where we're moving. Where are you taking me and my babies? (laughs) To a land I will show you. That's all God gave him. He didn't give him the coordinates for the GPS on the camel. He didn't show him. He didn't, he didn't even incentivize this deal by saying, oh, it's going to be a good land. This land's going to be awesome. Let me tell you, this land is going to be the best land. You're going to have a great house. There, it's going to be fantastic. You're going to have wonderful neighbors. It's going to be amazing. No, God says, hey, Abram, leave everything you know that's comfortable and go to a land I will show you. And he said, okay. Wow. Talk about stepping out of control and into trust. What a huge step to step out of something that was very comfortable and controlling. All my family's here. All my friends are here. All of this is all around me. I'm I'm comfortable. I'm familiar. And God says, yeah, it's time to leave all that. And not because those things were necessarily even bad. It wasn't like God was calling Abram out of a bad situation into a better situation. He was actually calling him out of a comfortable situation actually to a pretty uncomfortable situation to where over and over again we see different struggles that Abram had over in Hebrews chapter 11. If you want to flip over there, Hebrews 11 goes through kind of the, what we call the, the, the hall of faith, if you will, all these different individuals throughout Scripture that trusted in the Lord. Hebrews 11 and verse 8 says this, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't know where he was going, man. God just says, trust me, and leave everything, and let's go, and leave everyone that's familiar and comfortable. And he had to trust him, but his faith wasn't perfect. Abraham's life is, is littered with stories just like you and me, where we tried to get God to do what we wanted to do when we wanted him to do it. Because one of the things God said is, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to have all these descendants. There's going to be so many descendants, Abram, that you're not even going to be able to number them. Look at the grains of sand. Look at the stars. They're going to be more than that. You're not even going to be able to number them. And here's Abram who's getting on up in age and his wife's getting older and he's looking going, "Uh, I don't know how it's going to happen. We're pretty old. He said, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's where that scripture comes from. And now all of a sudden he goes, oh, okay, well, I'm going to trust you. But then his wife says, this isn't really working, honey. What are we going to do? I've got an idea. Why don't you go sleep with my 
with my servant over here and impregnate her and, and have a kid with her. Maybe that's what God wants us to do. Then we're trying to control the situation. And then what comes out as a result, Ishmael, which has caused all kinds of problems for the children of Israel, even to this very day, because of that nation that's angry towards Israel. We see how also there was another circumstance where Abram was caught with, uh, by, by a certain group of people, and the leader of the people said, hey, who's this woman that's with you? I, 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 wanna, I want her to be my wife. And he said, oh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's my sister. This is who this is. So he lies about the fact that this woman was his wife because he thought it was going to get him into trouble and says it's his sister instead. Messed up again. And then another thing he did was he took his nephew Lot with him on the journey when God specifically said, leave all of your kindred, leave all your family. And he says, hey, Lot, why don't you come along? And Lot caused Abraham all sorts of trouble, as we see throughout Scripture. So it wasn't a perfect journey. It wasn't a journey where Abraham was this great figure that never made a mistake. It's that he knew, even though he would drift over in to try to control God and control the outcome and control the situation, that God was still there loving him, that God was still there not abandoning him. And sometimes so many of us buy into this lie that when we blow it, God has somehow left the scene. That God's mad at us and he doesn't want anything to do with us anymore. God didn't say, you know what? You want to go try to have a kid on your own and you go have Ishmael? Well, guess what? All that stuff I told you, Father of many nations, it's over for you, buddy. You blew it. He didn't say that. Instead, God said, no, Abram, that's not the way I wanted to do this, but there's going to be some pain attached to that bad decision, but I still am going to do what I said I'm going to do, and I want you to trust me, and I want you to be able to step out of control and into faith, and he did, and his heart was repentant, and he went and did it God's way, and then God blessed that. Even though there were still some consequences from not trusting God, there still was a blessing that was still attached to what trusting God brought. And we see the faithfulness of God over and over in his life. And so many times the enemy wants to tell you, oh, you blew it, you missed God. You married the wrong person. You moved to the wrong place. You shouldn't have taken that job opportunity. You shouldn't have made that decision. You had kids too early, too late. You, all these different things the enemy would love to whisper, you shouldn't have bought this, shouldn't have bought that. You shouldn't have done this, shouldn't have done that. And he tries to weigh these things over on your head. Oh, if you wouldn't, you know, if you would have been able to make it through that trial or that challenge, then, you know, maybe God could use you. But, you know, God's kind of done with you because, you know, you've made too many mistakes or there's too much uh, garbage in your past and, you know, it's just over for you. Eh, the enemy would love to whisper those things in your head. And he does. And sometimes we believe them. And sometimes we give power to those things by believing them. But here I see Abram over and over again. Even when he would mess up, he would still pick himself back up and go trust God again. And God didn't say, well, now we're not going to move forward. No. If God wants you to do it, he wants you to do it. It may be a little bit more challenging because sometimes we make mistakes. But God can even help us through those challenges as well. Amen, somebody? You see, this is part of trusting God. It's part of us understanding that he's faithful. That God's not a liar. That God loves us. That God's not not, not beating us up over our past, and he's not saying, well, there's no future for you. No, he's still saying there's still hope, there's still future for you. I want you to deepen the relationship, deepen the trust, keep growing. Don't let those setbacks stall you from growing. 
Learn from your mistakes and keep moving forward. Don't allow your past and your mistakes to define you. Don't allow the times where you miss God to define you. Instead, deepen your trust in God by keeping moving forward and reminding yourself that God is good and that God is faithful and God is for us and He's not against us. And that God wants better for you than you want for yourself. You've got to deepen that trust in God doesn't mean everything's going to work the way you want it or when you're going to work or when when you want it or how you want it but it means that he's faithful to deepen trust with god we must learn to hear and obey his voice we've got to be able to learn to hear and obey his voice and that's the key is hear and obey amen somebody not just hear but hear and obey his voice and so many people struggle with this and i'm going to help you today because i'm tired of the enemy keeping you feeling like you are a subpar Christian or you're not a part of the spiritual elite, whatever that even means, because you don't know how to hear the voice of the Lord. I want to help equip you today to be able to know that you can hear the voice of the Lord. And I think that's really the first part, is knowing you can hear God. If you are a believer, if you're a Christian, you can hear God's leading. You can hear His direction. You can hear His voice. He wants to lead you and guide you into all truth. The Bible says as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Are you a son or a daughter of God? Are you? Yeah? Well, that means you can be led by the Spirit of God. That means God wants to speak to you. That means God wants to lead you. That means that God wants to work in you, and He wants to work through you because you are a part of His family, and His Spirit lives inside of you, and you can hear the voice of God. But it's not just hearing, it's also obeying. And I think that too many people, they struggle with hearing the voice of God and being led by the Spirit because they're intimidated by this idea because they've maybe either uh, made it something that's weird and strange, like God woke you up in the middle of the night, my son cometh forth. Okay, what do you want me to do, O Lord? I'm here, hearken ye to my voice, mine son. And that's what people think hearing from God is. That's what people think that God sounds like too, by the way. God doesn't speak in the King's English, right? Because the King James Bible was published in 1611 and God's been around before then. So, <laughs> and Jesus didn't talk like that either, by the way. But he spoke Aramaic, in case you were wondering. But the thing is, is that we have this idea of how God works. And maybe it's something we've seen on TV. Maybe it's something we've heard from another person's story. And we think it has to be this big, huge thing to where, you know, we get woken up out of a deep sleep and God speaks to us audibly. You know, it, it's not oftentimes that, uh, the, that that's the case. Instead, the more common thing that God will speak to us in is in the still, small voice, that inward knowing of His Spirit working in us to try to lead us and guide us into all truth. Because the Bible says that we should trust in the Lord and that we should lean not on our own understanding. We should acknowledge Him in all our ways, and He's going to direct our paths. We see that the Spirit of God is going to lead us and guide us into all truth. We see the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. We hear that God said that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask because he gives it freely. So we know God wants to speak to us. God wants to lead us. God wants to direct us. God wants us to step out of control and into trust. But to do that, we have to learn to hear His voice. So I want to give you a few things to teach you how to hear the voice of the Lord this morning and help you with this so the enemy can't have that foothold in your life anymore from you growing in your walk with the Lord. The first thing that I want you to write down is that God's Spirit and His Word always agree. All right? The Spirit and the Word always agree. So in other words, God is not going to lead you contrary to His Word. 
God is not going to lead you to do something that would be contrary to what he has already outlined in Scripture because the Bible is the foundation. It's the boundary. It's the guideline that is going to help direct and help us to see also to check that it's God because sometimes people don't know, is this my emotions or is it God? Am I just feeling this way because I'm really excited about it or I'm really scared of it or is it truly God? Well, we see, first of all, that the first check and balance should be, is this something that lines up with Scripture? Now, Scripture doesn't give us exact details of every situation that we need to handle in life. Instead, it gives us the framework. It gives us the foundation to help us to discern the voice of God. Like even when it comes to, uh, am, am I supposed to uh, hire someone? Maybe here at church, I'm looking to hire someone. And God, I want to be able to hire the right person. God is not going to say, turn to page 600 and so-and-so and you'll see a name. And it'll rhyme with the name of the person <laughs> that you're supposed to hire Hezekiah. What am I supposed to, who am I supposed to hire then? So anyways, we play these goofy games with God. God, give me a sign, like literally like a billboard or something that says something that says something else. And we try to play these games with God and God's like, listen, I'm, I'm not into games. I'm wanting you to understand how to hear my voice because Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and to a stranger's voice, they will not listen. All right. So if Jesus says, my sheep know my voice, then we need to know the voice of the Lord. Amen, somebody. Now, the spirit and the word always have to agree. But let's say if you're going to hire someone that you're saying, I, I don't see an exact name, but what do I see in scripture? Well, I see that there are certain qualifications for spiritual leadership. So if I'm looking to put someone in a spiritual leadership position, then I have the framework or the foundation to be able to know these are basic qualifications given to me in Scripture um, by the Lord through the Holy Spirit. doesn't give a name, but I know at least there's the framework there, and it gives me an idea of what I'm supposed to be looking for. And then beyond that, I am, have a confirmation in my heart, and I have God's Spirit leading me, giving me peace, letting me know that this is the right person because they also fit the criteria. Now, if they didn't fit the criteria and I was excited about it, I would need to check myself. Is this God or am I allowing my emotions to take control? God also gives us ways to manage our finances in the Scripture. He talks about different things that we need to do, different principles and practices that we need to have in place. Am I doing those things? So when I go to make a purchase, am I really counting the cost? Am I sitting down? Am I going and seeking godly counsel because there's a wisdom in a multitude of counselors. You see, the Bible gives me the foundation. It doesn't necessarily say, yes, go buy this car or don't buy this car or buy this house or take this job. But we see that there are scriptural principles that lead us and guide us and help us to discern whether or not I'm getting emotional about this or whether this is truly God leading me. And so we always want to make sure that we understand his word and his spirit always, always, always agree. There is a guideline, but then there's also a trust portion that comes into play. That's the part where I have to trust the voice of the Lord because He leads us in small ways to teach us His voice. And this is the second thing, and I want you to write this down. We must listen and obey in the small things. Everyone wants to go and seek God when it's the big stuff. Like there's a, there, there's a diagnosis or something that's unfavorable. Everybody wants to run to the Lord. There's a big decision. Should I take this job that's out of the state or out of country or whatever the case is going to cause my family to be moved? Or should I do this? You know, everybody wants to go to run to God during those times because they don't know what to do. But here's the thing. It's not just in those big times when you run to God. 
It's learning to trust him in the everyday, still, small voice, in the little things every single day. Because when I know the voice of God, guess what happens? It begins to help me to build trust and confidence that God is truly speaking and that he's leading. Now, you can laugh at this if you want. I give you permission, all right? But it's true. When I was younger, God would lead me in some very interesting ways to teach me how to be sensitive to his leading. And it wasn't an audible voice. It was just a knowing in my heart. It was a knowing in my spirit that I knew this wasn't something natural or normal that I was wanting to do or felt a responsibility to do, that it was truly God. When I was a teenager, I remember many times going to like a Walmart or Target or a grocery store or something, and if there was something out of sorts, like say on an end cap, there were a couple of paper towel rolls that fell off that were on a display, I would feel the Lord say, go pick those up. Now, I don't get paid for that, right? Not my job, right? And I'm not even the one that knocked them down. But I knew in my heart that God was saying, you need to go do this. And I knew it wasn't just me trying to be a do-gooder and do a good deed. I knew there was something more than that that was actually drawing me to do that. It was like this knowing. And if I ignored it, it would just nag me throughout the whole store. And if I violated it and just left the store without doing those things, I felt like this weight, like, oh man, why did I not do that? I'm still thinking about stupid paper towels. And I believe that that was God leading me to learn his voice and learn to be sensitive to his voice because then putting up the paper towel led to call this person or go check on this person. And I wasn't even a pastor. I was just a teenager. And God was saying, hey, you haven't seen so-and-so in a while or talked to them. You know, you need to give them a call. And I didn't hear that. It wasn't like I had this direct sense of, 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 of this, this, this very formal and um, uh, just articulated thing. It was more of just a knowing. Hey, you need to do this. And when I would give in to that and I would obey that, it began to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And guess what happened to me? I began to build more confidence in being able to hear the voice of the Lord. To when He would lead me and guide me, I could confidently make decisions knowing that God is leading me. And I also know when I get into my emotions. And sometimes I would try to, still even to this day, sometimes if I really want to do something, I even get over into my emotions, I'll try to rationalize it with God, but I'll know that it's not right. You know, I, I mean, even my wife and I, we pray about uh, purchases. Before, I just bought a used truck. It wasn't even that much money. I spent three grand on a used truck. And, uh, and, and I didn't go out and buy this big, huge thing, but we prayed about this, and we talked about it, you know, because, not because it was just, uh, we, we just felt like, this, is this God? Is this something God wants us to do, or is this going to be a mistake? Is this going to be like something that's going to be a headache more than it's going to be a blessing? And we prayed about it. And we ask God to give us direction. We pray over those decisions. We pray over, you know, what to do with our, our kids' education. We pray over what to do when it comes to different situations in our lives that, that may not be like these big, huge, huge deals, but at the same time, they're important steps in our life and in our journey. And we want to be led by the Lord. So we want to be confident in the voice of the Lord. And we know when we're violating that, we know even when it's a good thing. It's not always staying away from something bad. It can even be a good thing that we go, okay, it's not a no, it's just not right now. And then you have a peace in your heart. Uh, we, were, we were looking at uh, building a house and we were all excited about it. We had a floor plan picked out and everything and we had a lot picked out. We were like, oh, let's go build a house. We're so excited about it. But something just wasn't right. And we prayed about it. We talked about it. Man, I woke up every morning thinking about it and I hated it. I hated every morning waking up, first thing on my mind was a stupid house. 
And I finally went to my wife and I told her, I said, I just feel like that we're trying to make something happen that God doesn't want us to do right now. And I don't know why. It wasn't a money issue. It wasn't uh, uh, anything that we could see from the natural. But I said, I, I really just feel like we need to just put the brakes on this thing. She said, okay. And so we both agreed. And as soon as we agreed, all that heaviness lifted off of me, man. And I was able to breathe again. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like, wow, I, I feel like God is really leading me here and directing me. And then God opened up an opportunity that was even a better blessing than what we thought that building a home was going to be. But we have to learn to listen and obey in the small things. And the next thing we have to do, and this is a big one, we have to stop trying to control God. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. That's okay. I said, stop trying to control God. We do this more times than we realize. And I know none of us would consciously admit to trying to control God. But we do it in these little ways where we try to get God in our good graces or we try to, you know, earn enough brownie points with God to cash in at a later date, like tickets at Chuck E. Cheese or something. Like if I can do enough good, then I can cash all this into God when I have a big need or when I have a big want. It's like, God, I've, I've, I've volunteered, God, I've served, God, I've prayed a lot, I've read the Bible a lot, and I'm wanting to cha-ching cash in on this deal I want you to do for me. That's not how it works, okay? This isn't something where we're collecting some type of reward system that we're building up to later cash in to God when we want Him to do something for us, as if we have the ability to control God. Why do we think we can control God? Why don't we think we can manipulate God? If we're going to step out of control and into trust, that means we're, we're saying, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not my will. Your ways are higher than my ways, right? That's where it takes us trusting him and stepping outside of just trying to cash in all of our good deeds. Man, I, I lived this. Uh, back when we moved from Oklahoma to Texas, we moved there to plant the church, all right? My wife was pregnant with twin girls at the time. We didn't know she was having twins. We had our son, who was about eight, nine months old at the time or so, when we moved. And we moved out to a land where we knew no one, and we felt really spiritual because of it, right? We felt a little Abrahamish, all right? We moved where there was no friends, no family, no connection, and we were there with no church. We were there to plant a church, to start a church. And we felt like, man, we are doing the work of the Lord. And we were met with challenge after challenge after challenge, both personally with the church financially, with health, with our children, the girls being born and all the complications surrounding all of that, all the things over and over again. And it got exhausting. And I felt pretty angry at times towards God. And I felt like God owed me something. And so I let him know about it. And I said, God, we moved here for you. We did this for you. We sacrificed everything for you. Where's ours at? You know what I'm saying? Come on, God. Look at all the things I've done. In other words, I was going, I'm turning in my, my tickets. I wanted to exchange something, God. I felt, I felt like I was justified in all of my good deeds and all my good doings. And God, I did this for you. And then now where's the payout? And God's like, you can't control me. <laughs> I'm going to do what I want to do for my glory and my purposes when I want to do it, not when you want. And it's not an exchange system because that revealed the true nature of my heart in that moment. That what was my motive? Was I doing it in order to try to get God to do something for me? Or was I doing it because God told me to do it and I was called to do it? 
that was decision-making time when I was faced with that. Faced with my own selfishness, faced with my own self-reliance and my own ugliness. If it's somehow I could control God. Listen, if we're going to learn to hear the voice of God, we have to stop trying to control God. Amen, somebody? We've got to stop trying to manipulate God. We've got to stop trying to get him to recognize that, hey, I showed up at church, you know, I've been here three months in a row. Now, God, where's my blessing? You know, God, where's that thing I've been wanting you to do? Because look what I'm doing for you. God, I gave in the offering. God, I've served. God, I've prayed. God, I've read the, the Bible. All these things. Now, where's mine? Man, if we put that on God, then we're missing the relationship in God. We're, we're missing the whole point of this faith journey, and we're just trying to manipulate to get what we want. So we have to stop doing that. The fourth thing we need to do is we need to invest in a strong foundation to discern the voice of God from your emotional desire. This is huge. We need to invest in our relationship with God daily. Matter of fact, I think to hear God in those small things like we talked about in number two, I think that what we have to do is we have to wake up and get our mind on the Lord first thing in the morning. Because how many things are vying for your attention first thing in the morning? If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? You've got to get up and, and make it a point to get your mind on the Lord, to get your mind on, to be intentional by getting your mind on the Lord, by spending that time in prayer, spending that time in Scripture, and asking God to help you to be sensitive and aware to opportunities that He puts in front of you. Because your everyday mundane, go through the motions, go to work, punch in, you know, do your thing, punch out, you know, that... that can get so mundane that we miss God in it, that we miss God trying to lead us in it, because God wants to be infused in care about every aspect of our lives, and He wants you to see that, whether you recognize it or not. But for you to develop trust, you have to begin to recognize that God cares about all of that, and He wants to use you throughout the everyday mundane routine maybe that you go to. I don't care if you're a factory worker that pushes the same button every time you go to the factory and you push it the same amount of times every single day. It doesn't matter. God can still use you in a mighty way even in your routine. But you have to start off the day recognizing that this day is a gift from Him. You have to start off recognizing that God, I want my heart and my mind to be in a position to be able to serve you in some way, shape, or form today. So, Lord, let me not miss an opportunity. Let me not miss a, a divine appointment, Lord, that you are trying to set in front of me in order to show someone else your love and your truth in some way, shape, or form, or to be the hands and feet of Jesus at my job today, or to be the hands and feet of Jesus here in my home today, or out in my comings and goings, going to the store and going uh, out to eat, or whatever the case may be. If we set our minds and our hearts to those things, I guarantee you God's voice will speak to you in a lot clearer way because you're already setting your mind and your heart to be focused on doing something for the Lord. You have to start off that way. You have to get to a place. Even, even man, if you, if you forget, man, on your commute, get in the car, shut the radio off, and spend that time with the Lord and say, God, help my heart to be more in tune with you today. Help me to recognize where you're wanting me to spend that little extra time instead of scrolling through Facebook on my break at work, sitting with that coworker and just listening to things that they're struggling with and being a presence for them and praying for them or whatever the case may be. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? You see, God is speaking, and it's not always in these grandiose, super spiritual ways that we envision or that we try to think, but it's, it's these small things that God is trying to speak to our hearts. And the more that we allow that in our lives and we recognize it, the more we're going to become accustomed to His voice and the more we're going to be 
began to know his voice, like Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Here's the things that we need to do to invest in a strong foundation when we want to make sure we're separating it from an emotional thing, an emotional desire, especially if it's something you really, really, really want or something you really want to see happened or something maybe you really hope that it doesn't work out so you don't have to do it. Oh, you know, they, they, they were looking for this many people to do this. Oh, well, they've already got all they need. I don't have to do it now, that type of thing. I know nobody here does that, though, right? Right. You need to test your feelings against Scripture, like we said earlier, because we need to make sure it lines up with Scripture. We need to test our feelings among godly counsel, because sometimes we need to go and seek out that godly counsel when we're still not getting clarity and really allow that to be tempered by other godly people in our lives that can be godly influences, not people that will just tell you what you want to hear. Hello, somebody. And then the last one, this doesn't get talked about for some reason in church very often, and, uh, but, but we need to talk about it. One of the strongest things that I think you can do if you're still looking for clarity and trying to hear the voice of the Lord is to fast. What? To fast. That means to go without food. It's a very biblical practice when we begin to abstain from food in order to focus on the Lord. Because what it does is it is us intentionally telling our body no. And instead of just spending that time not eating, we're spending that time instead praying and seeking the Lord for direction and wisdom. You'll see people over and over again in Scripture, Jesus fasted for 40 days. Man, that's a long time to be fasting. And then the next thing that happened wasn't that he got to go eat a bunch of food. He got tempted by the enemy. He got tempted by Satan. Um, and we see all that happen in Scripture in the life of Christ. But that, I always tell people that. If they're like, man, I don't know if I should take this job or not. I say, well, have you prayed about it? Yeah, I've been praying about it. Have you, you know, looked at Scripture and looked for counsel from Scripture? Yes, I have. I still just don't have clarity. I just don't know. Oh, have you talked to, you know, other people that are godly counselors in your life? Yes, I have. And I'm like, well, have you fasted? And normally they're like, oh, I haven't done that. I really need to quiet my heart. And just quiet, quiet your life down. Shut the TV off. Put the phone down. Just, just say, no, I'm just going to focus on the Lord and praying and really seeking that peace and that clarity to where when I finally come out of that, that, that state, whether, whether it's a meal, whether it's a day, whether it's two days or however long the Lord wants you to fast, that you're doing it intentionally to seek clarity. Um, I know before I moved here as your pastor, that was one of the things that my wife and I committed to do. We fasted for three days before we came up here, uh, before we felt a peace to accept uh, the, uh, the extension of the, the offer to be your pastor is that uh, we want to make sure this is the Lord, and it wasn't just a great opportunity, but that this was truly the Lord, because God was saying, go into a land <laughs> that I will show you, a land filled with cheese and packers <laughs> and sausages and snow. Yeah, that's right, and snow. But you know, I mean, I knew that this was what God wants to do, and, and there have been times in my life where, man, it seemed like all the odds were stacked up against us too and you know you just you don't feel you don't feel qualified you don't feel like man i don't know if i could do that or not and god as i look at scripture those are kind of the people god picks god says i need a king over israel i'm gonna go to the house of jesse and i'm gonna send send the prophet samuel and i want him to go to the house of jesse and Want him to look at all of his sons. And Jesse looked at the biggest, strongest son and said, well, that guy's got to be the king. God said, nope, not it. And then he goes down the line, not it, not it, not it. And he exhausted all the sons. He thought, he asked Jesse, what, is this all the kids you got? Because God told me that one of your kids is going to be the next king. And he said, well, I got this one boy. He's my youngest. He's out watching the sheep, but 
you know, his name's David. Well, won't you send him? Send for him. The youngest guy that was the least impressive. And God says, yeah, that's the one. Anoint him. You see, we make all these excuses to why we can't be used by God. And over and over again in Scripture, we hear stories like Gideon, who was the smallest, weakest in the smallest, weakest tribe. And God says, yep, that's the one. It's not always do you happen to be impressive towards God or other people. It's about you being willing and obedient. And God loves to be glorified through our imperfections and our weaknesses. He loves to still show up, not because of us, but rather in spite of us. And I think that we miss that sometimes because we believe the lie of the enemy. He'll whisper in our ear, oh, well, you're not good enough for that. You're not good enough for that. Neither was David. <laughs> Neither was Gideon. Neither was Abraham. Neither was Derek. None of us who are following the Lord, it's not something about us being good enough and all of a sudden we can rely on our own strength and our own talent and our own giftedness and our own savvy. Instead, we have to concede and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to step out of trying to control and I'm going to step in to trust, whatever that may look like. The last thing is to step out of control and into trust. So I want to ask you this before we go today. What has God been moving on your heart about that you've been delaying because you were fearful or prideful? What's the thing that you know he's been speaking to your heart about that you've been delaying because of fear or pride? Maybe it's something that you heard in a message that maybe stirred your heart, but you failed to act. Maybe God was speaking to you, and you didn't recognize God was speaking to you. You just thought, I need to get out of church so that nagging will go away. And I'll go distract myself with something else instead of feel a responsibility to act on that word. But it was God's voice trying to speak to you to get you to act, to move, to change. Maybe you didn't go and confess that offense and work towards reconciliation because you couldn't control the outcome. Maybe you walked away from that. Maybe you had already decided and pegged how the other person was going to react, so you just didn't do anything. Maybe you were stirred to live generously, but you were so afraid of what it would cost you, and you were so afraid of not having enough that you were going to wait till you control everything, until everything made sense. Maybe you were even stirred last week to get connected, as we talked about getting connected in life-giving relationship. But the last time you got connected in a church family, you got hurt or disappointed by church leadership or by another Christian, and you don't want to experience that pain again. So instead of experiencing uh, the joys of serving together, fear has kept you disconnected. And you don't want to get connected and involved. What, whatever it is God's speaking to you, what is, he, what is he saying to you that perhaps fear or pride has been keeping you stalled? My hope today would be that you would be stirred today to move to action, to step out of control and step into trust, to move on what God has been speaking to your heart about moving on. God wants to use you to advance his kingdom, God wants to use word of grace to advance his kingdom. God wants us to make an eternal impact. And he wants to invite us to get to be a part. But it takes us humbling ourselves and saying, okay, I'm going to trust and obey. It's time to step out of control. And it's time to step into trust. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.